This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights. Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies, and the creatives that make them, not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside, you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary, and underappreciated films from filmmakers like you worldwide. And the best part is that it is completely free. So join today at www.bonsai.film. It takes just a few seconds. And once you sign up, you'll get the very next newsletter on Friday morning. It's that simple. Go to www.bonsai.film to get Indie Insights, our biweekly newsletter, and join a network of film creatives just like yourself. And don't worry, we'll never sell your information or spam you with a bunch of nonsense emails, just the bi-weekly film industry goodness you need. And if you ever tire of Indie Insights, simply unsubscribe. No gimmicks, no games. So go to www.bonsai.film to get Indie Insights for free. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I'm here with my good friend and co-founder, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. Hello, hello. What's up, man? Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's like, what isn't up, you know? <laughs> well, it's been, it's been a busy week. Yep, We sure. have a lot going on, and this week, personally, I'm excited about the Nashville Film Festival, and... Uh, On the full disclosure, transparency, I'm on the board of the Nashville Film Festival, and we have been preparing for this week all year. And now that it's finally here, you kind of breathe a sigh of relief, but there's also a lot of pressure to make sure you don't drop any balls along the way. We've seen some great films. We've been part of some incredible panels this week, and I think that's what we want to bring to the audience today and and, and what we're going to try to uh, expound upon is this this idea of pitching and the various levels of it and what it means if you win a pitch contest and what you should expect to happen next and also having the correct expectations for yourself when you go into a pitch contest regardless of the outcome yeah there's a lot to dig into yeah a ton to dig into um Topical things that are going on. There are things that are interesting uh, around the the festival world in general. And one of the nicknames and, and monikers I've given on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart on Twitter uh, to to this festival is that we we want to be the Sundance of the South. Obviously, Sundance is a very prestigious 
film festival, one I think is, you know, incredible. I think it's always stood up for the independent filmmaker and we've probably mentioned it a, a dozen times on these indie talks over the years, but I was disappointed in them this week around this story that came out in the independent about the movie Jihad Rehab, which was uh, directed by Meg Smaker. And it's crazy. You know, this is a documentary about this idea of redemption for terrorists and terrorists who have spent time in Guantanamo Bay, which is probably worse than hell. Uh, and I'm not making any apologies for the experience of a terrorist You're just saying what but, it is, yeah. but it, it is, it, you know, it was a secret prison. It was a terrible place, both for the people who worked there and the people who were imprisoned. And that's why it's against the law. That's why, you know, there had to be some reform there. Right. And by all accounts, this documentary was really well reviewed. Everybody loved it, including Sundance, including, the documentary darling and influencer Abigail Disney Mm -hmm. critics all around loved it. And then the community in the middle East, those critics got a hold of it and were really put off by it and started to criticize this, this idea that it's a white savior story. How can a white woman tell a story about middle Eastern terrorists? And all of a sudden the very respectable Sundance didn't about face. All of a sudden the movie wasn't good. All of a sudden it didn't make their festival. And then Abigail Disney did an about face. All of a sudden she thought it was a hate turd, a hate (laughs) bomb. And she was gushing over it uh, beforehand. And it's just disappointing to see that this is where we've come. And you can call it, cancel culture, but this idea that because of the color of your skin as an artist, you do not have permission to explore certain ideas. It just, it rings false to me, Nick. Yeah. I'm curious. So, you know, full disclosure, you know, I haven't read the full article, uh, but as you mentioned, you know, they did an about face, right? So did they, in fact, change the story, as in say that this was no longer good? Or did they shift into a position of this is no longer acceptable at our festival? This is no longer something that we're going to support because there's another community that is against the content. You know, I think it was a little bit of both. Mm, I think it's I think their message is both. And I think what happened after that is what is even more disturbing because critics then encouraged people who had worked on the documentary to take their names off the credits, Mm -hmm. to not be associated with the film. They went far and wide to ensure that other festivals didn't program this documentary. Is this like an after the fact apology, not necessarily an apology, but like, Oh, we didn't realize our level of, racism or whatever it is before, but now that you, now that we're woke, right now that you've awakened (laughs) us to whatever unintentional bias or I don't know, savior syndrome or whatever it was that that they apparently discovered that they had, that they're saying now that we realize this, it's bad and we're acknowledging how bad it is. So anyone that we're associated with, Hey guys, 
we've been told by this part of the community that it's bad. Now, let's say this was, uh, you know, a documentary about some section of the African-American community. Do you think the same thing would have been true if black folks had come out and said, hey, I do. Okay. I think that if you had black critics come out and say, hey, we're not going to support this movie. This is bullshit, whatever. Yeah. I think it's fragile times, man. I don't, you know, you, you see the the um, ACLU bending in a way that it's never bent before. You see these prestigious organizations like Sundance that they're unwilling to fight the the moral and philosophical battles. Mm-hmm. They're 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 too fragile. It, it feels like everyone is overextended and they cannot afford financially to risk people boycotting their thing, people being upset with their thing. And when you live in a world where everything is vanilla, you know, this, this should not be coming for independent filmmakers. This, this, this type of, this type of reaction, this type of, of rule setting should not becoming for and and affecting independent voices. And Mm. Sundance is all about independent voices. This director, according to the independent is broke. She's been ruined. Right. She's been ruined. And she, and and the, the sad thing is, I mean, imagine making something that every, that was universally loved. And then having that taken away from you. And then just having it yeah. taken from you. And then your career and your financial prospects. On, she has no chance to sell this now. No chance to distribute it. It'll find no home. You know, Abigail Disney is way too influential. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm dumbfounded by it. I, I, I'm dumbfounded by where we've allowed ourselves to get. Yeah. And I'm curious as to the number of these critics you know, how many, is it one, like one that was very influential? Is it 50 critics? And like, basically the idea is how many people need to speak against the thing in order for cancel culture to take effect? Yeah. And that, and it's scary if it's two, <laughs> you know, right. that number is two people raise their hand and say, you shouldn't do this. And then the whole thing gets shut down. That's frightening. Yeah. I can see if there's a movement. Right. I can yeah. see if it's hundreds of thousands or if it's thousands of people are getting up to boycott this thing. But I don't yeah. think that's the case here. So yeah. how influential and how many critics are really stepping up to make such an influence? You know, that's that's crazy. There's a lot of virtue signaling yeah. these days, a lot of moral virtue signaling. And the end result of it, at least in the short run, is power and security. Hmm. You saw a number of things that were very similar this week. Berkeley University, they have nine law students or nine law departments or something like that that joined together to basically create a club that excluded anyone that was Jewish. And, you know, again, I took to Twitter and said, hey, uh, I gave him three eyeball emojis. <laughs> yeah, right. like, yeah, I was going to say. We need to pay attention to this. Yeah, what's this going is on at here? The univer- this is at a liberal, right. the most liberal university in the country, and they're doing anti-Semitic stuff and trying to use the Constitution, use law to 
to sort of get their way. So not only have they pushed off speakers that might trigger someone, but now they're, they're, you know, using loopholes to exclude, you know, people from certain clubs and groups based on whether or not they're a Jew, which is unbelievable. And then good friend of the podcast, Chris Green, who just did an amazing mistake in the making was in Dahmer. Yep. And, one of the black female crew from Dahmer had a bad experience. Apparently right. said she was treated terribly said, she's so glad this, the, the series is out and that the work is over. She didn't have a great time. Right. Well, Chris saw that who was in Dahmer acted mm-hmm. in it as an actor and, you know, replied to her comment and said, we, we definitely do not share the same opinion or she definitely speaks for herself. Right. Exactly. His experience was great. Mm -hmm. So as soon as he did that, the either the bot army (laughs) or which it could be, which it could be. Right. Mm -hmm. Because we know what happened with Zack Snyder and how he got his bot army to get him a cut of um, um, God, I'm forgetting the Marvel movie he did now that he that he forced a recut of. Yeah. Or DC DC movie. movie. It was like a three hour Justice League. Yeah. It was pretty good, actually. But it, it was. But uh, but it was. It turned out there were no real fans clamoring for this. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was all. It was all bot action. So he ends up getting in a, basically a Twitter war over this, and all he did was simply say, "Not my experience." But, and but I'm talk, black. But talk about the Twitter war. Like, who is he warring against? There were people. The, the immediate response I saw under it was just like a black man <laughs> to not let a black woman have her moment. Let her have her moment. That's crazy. And apparently, you know, Chris Green's saying, well, she she's trying to promote a short film. She's trying to she's using this as a platform to bring attention to herself. And apparently these friends are like, and right. That's the whole point. So let's talk about this, though. So there's people who responded in that way. So there was this a black woman. Do you know? There, you don't ever know who you're talking to unless you really know them. There are a lot of my friends on Twitter that I I know them because I know them. Right. But it's. (laughs) Uh, in this case, I don't know these people. They had black profile pictures. There you go. So that's another interesting part about that, right? So you have potentially, or let's say likely in this case, a black person saying, just like a black man to dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's <laughs> like, where do you think that comment is going to take us? Yeah. It was, it was, it was straw man attack after straw man attack. Where, but on your own where, community, where, where, like, right. what are you doing? Like, on your own community, <laughs> and where Chris is trying to redirect the conversation back right. to the point, and he can't do it. Now he's now he's in the he's caught up in the in the tide of, okay. of the conversation where they've straw manned him to death, and now you know you go several comments down in this in this Twitter fight he had, and they're now just simply talking about how black men are shit <laughs> and like stuff like that. Just unbelievable stuff. Wow. Stereotypical stuff. It was never about that. Stereotypical stuff from the black community. community. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Other communities don't, we, I don't right. know why we do this to each exactly. other. Exactly. And, so, and, and that's what I'm saying. It's not even to each other. That's what I'm saying. It's not even correct, but it's not even like to each other. I always say you're doing this to ourselves, right? You're doing it to yourself when you do this to someone else. But I'm with you that in that crazy, like you don't even know if that's actually people who are saying these things. Now at some point, like you said, the comment thread could have been taken over by bots. 
Yeah. And then you got people commenting back to the bots and the bots are commenting back to the people and it's just yeah. 22. Yeah. And, and for me, I, I don't engage in it. Um, Naval Ravikant said, don't uh, argue with idiots on Twitter. And you can always tell who an idiot is on Twitter because they're arguing with some idiot on Twitter. Right. <laughs> so my advice well to Chris said. Green is you don't argue, don't with, argue with, don't, don't put yourself in that position because you know, you, you can't win. It's a bunch of people against you. Uh, I, I was recently in, in one of these things where I just simply said the honest truth, which th- there was this kid in a, in a middle school or a high school and he was being incredibly disruptive to the gym class. And instead of calling his parents, for some reason, they called the, the security officer, the, the SRO to come handle it. He was, unbelievably disrespectful to this officer and walked away from him and was cursing at him and, and threatening him in, in, in sort of a passive aggressive way. And this is a kid. Yeah. And I just simply said, to be honest, if any of my kids were on video speaking like this, I'd be heartbroken. Maybe they should have called his mom, his dad or his guardian instead of the SRO. And they could have handled it because he probably would not have talked that way to his own parents or guardian. And if so, then we understand what we understand. And I had two or three people that I, that I then saw and looked at their profile, three followers, (laughs) 10 followers, no posts arguing with me, like basically saying the kids in the right police brutality. Wow. This is police brutality because they, they he ended up getting pepper sprayed and arrested mm-hmm. because he wouldn't just come. This officer asked him to please stand up and come with him peacefully for 10 minutes. Yeah, but while class is going on. Yeah, but back to your point. Yeah. You weren't arguing with people or people weren't arguing yeah. with you. It was bots. And once I didn't respond, the whole thing just died. It stopped. Yep. <laughs> so the bots algorithm says, based on this response. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that whole Microsoft experiment where they created a bot from Azure Mm -hmm. and it took the bot only 24 hours to become misogynist, racist. (laughs) So this is the society we're in. And, and, you know, social media is supposed to be this great marketplace of ideas. The thing you learned about in college where the best ideas rise Mm -hmm. to the top. But I think the way social media works is actually the most entertaining thing rises to the top. Not or, or the most outrageous thing, not the best idea, for example, the worst idea. So if you have a video of a cat misbehaving, that is seen as better as a cat purring and loving on its owner. Yeah. If you see some uh, large woman jumping from her balcony onto a table and then breaking her back as the table breaks, right. that is higher, high, more higher rank than, let's say, a larger woman uh making a salad or exercising or taking care of herself or being empowered. Like, so it just triggers like, and so you do that for over a decade and what you have is like this and it's come, it's, it's kind of, there's a fever pitch to, to this moment. And then now you have these factions, you have, these things happening in different states. I don't know anybody like this in real life. I go out in real life. Everybody's really nice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But there are these factions that are rising and I just want people to pay attention to what's happening, especially in the film space where it's like, here's a director. Everybody that listens to this podcast that does film knows how hard it is. They know what kind of gauntlet it is 
to make a movie. It's not easy. And she made a movie, and she and she didn't do it in a cheap way. Well, she didn't she do it in a vacuum. She went there. Right. She flew to the Middle East. She spent a p- PB. How long? Can you find out, producer PB? Can you find out <laughs> how many months she spent in the Middle East? To do this film, well, just do you see it? Do you have the article pulled up? He can pull it up, but yeah, I think I think I want to find out. But she yeah. she's in she's with the terrorists. Well, well, she didn't, saying, but she the, didn't she's, do it via Zoom. But she she's not make any doing it by herself either. There are other yeah. people who are within the same community, the same community of folks that are railing against it. She likely partnered with in the process of making this film. Oh, that's that is so true because the other thing that was uh, said in the article's lengthy, but one of the other things that was mentioned in the article is that a bunch of these naysayers said the whole, uh, the whole thing was done by white people. So here you are telling the story and you don't have one person of color on your entire cat crew. Turns out not the case. Well, had a Saudi person on the crew <laughs> and had uh, another person uh, of color on the crew. But, but here's so the that, thing. So but you can just crew, say whatever you want now. I know. But even the crew, like, is that even an appropriate thing to target? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, did they target the advisors? Probably not. Yeah. There's probably several advisors to that team that helped them through this process that were of the same community. So, yeah, it's it's terrible. And that's why I look at it. It's just, again, this is just an example of cancel culture. And, you know, at what point do these larger institutions push back? I love what Ken Burns said. And I think if you're going to push back against powers this strong, like Sundance and Abigail Disney and others, it has to be somebody like Ken Burns. Because he's iconic in documentary film and, and he's on the record saying, we get into documentary film so that we can explore experiences outside of our own lives and communities. 100% agree. Now, how about another thought to append to that? Okay. There's all this concern about DEI, the diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the Mm -hmm. idea that people's stories aren't being told and we're not, you know, invited to the table Sometimes it's nice to be brought to the table. Yeah. Right. So it's not like you're always guaranteed a seat. Right. So if someone brings you. So this director. Right. Yeah. This director yeah, yeah. brought this conversation to the table. Yeah. How can you be mad at that? Like, what are you <laughs> saying? like they brought that cultural conversation to the table. Mm-hmm. Why does it matter what her skin color is? And that's the thing. That's just crazy to me. It's like, you guys want to harp on this and you're not doing this. But as soon as now a white person helps bring your stuff to light, you're saying you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. Come on. And that's why I think you're saying Sundance. Come on. You got to be better than that. Sundance of, of all places has to be better. than. So that. let's go back to where you started. So is NAF still aspiring to be the Sundance of the South? or I think in some ways, because one transgression doesn't make for your history and who you are. Very good. You know, would never be hypocritical in that way. I'm not perfect. You are not perfect. And I would hate to be described or branded based on one mistake, one thing I did wrong. I think this is a mistake. That's all. Yeah. 
I'm trying to be honest about it. I want to be forthright about it. I think Sundance made a mistake this time. I think they fell under and into the pressure of cancel culture or of social media or, or the court of public opinion. And I hope they never do it again, but that doesn't take away the years and years and years and years and years and decades of, of support of, 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 of independent and extremely high quality and high quality independent yeah. film. But I hope that doesn't happen here. Well, that's, I think that's the point, right? That's uh, yeah, the well, lesson. I should say at, at national at film festival. And I think that's the, that's the lesson, right? It's a lesson learned and it's like, Hey, let's not fall into that trap and being a member of the board. It's also something you can communicate mm-hmm. like this. There's the potential for this to happen at any given time. So what can the board do as a collective, almost to, you know, say this is going to be part of our mission, you know, as yeah. NAF to not fall into this trap, you know, and make sure that if there is something that is truly exploitative, right. Then that, that you actually deal with that. Yeah. But, but do your but, work, but right? if it's do exploitative, <laughs> don't say, don't say it's the best documentary. Yeah, right. years, you don't get and cut, then turn around go, and say, yep, yeah, don't go back. Right. Don't go back on your word. Yeah. You, yeah. you just, you have to own it at the, you have to own it. Once you say it and it's out there, you have to own it. And now it's just so false because there's, they're scrambling. Um, I was also uh, just tickled pink because nobody's better at this than Kanye West. Like he, he wore, he had his runway show and he wore the white lives matter hoodie. And it's just, he, he's so, he's so good at pressing buttons. And the, the reason why, I don't like it is because I thought not that we were past it, that okay. it just, it just feels like that moment had already sort of like, we all understood it. We all understood what that was. And we have all accepted that, you know, black lives matter. And I know how that organization is funded. So I'm not in love with that, but I'm, I am, I do like the sentiment, which is, and the point is that, yeah, black lives matter where black lives are the ones being harassed and killed on a regular basis, uh, discriminated against, et cetera. That's why that's the phrase. The phraseology I don't like and never have because it's divisive. It doesn't you bring know, people. It doesn't it, it, it doesn't bring people together. And so it has its weaknesses. Mm-hmm. But if you but if you wear the polar I mean, is, is that unity? I guess that's the question I was wondering to myself, you know, he, he's going to get incredible attention and backlash for his brand and for himself, both positive and negative. He's willing to get publicity, you know, regardless if it's good or bad publicity, but does the phrase white lives matter bring society together or does it divide even further I think Black Lives Matter is divisive, said that all lives matter and blue lives matter has been sort of hijacked by the right and seems to be divisive now. Yeah, but I think it seems to be as misunderstood as Colin Kaepernick's knee. Yeah, I I think that it's um, or I'm saying Black Lives Matter to them is is misunderstood. As Colin Kaepernick's knee, right? Like like I I think he was doing the white lives matter is publicity. I think because of his persona, 
it will be perceived as such. It will be perceived as another thing that he's doing, like wearing a mm-hmm. MAGA hat. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no divisiveness that's going to occur from it. it it's kind of like it's just be Kanye being Kanye. Yeah. Um, you know, I will echo you know your sentiment. We've talked about this before. Where, yeah, I don't think Black Lives Matter was the right way to go from a, a statement standpoint yeah uh, primarily because it's a you know it's an imperative you know you're telling someone this um where people might not believe that there might be parts of the country that don't believe that and you're telling them to do something they don't want to do which creates division but again with kanye it's a publicity stunt people are just gonna see it being kanye being kanye yeah it might actually be very good for whatever he's trying to sell Mm -hmm. because kanye is still seen as one of the greatest hip-hop artists of all time artist period greatest artist of all time Uh, still has a very big following when it comes to his um not only his music but his clothing and he's gonna try to start he's starting his own thing right his own line so now it's like hey look you know i've got black folks on my side and I've got a good population of white folks on my side already because, you know, the young white kids listen to hip hop. Have to, you can't be successful without, <laughs> without them. Yeah. But now he's like, maybe I'm going to expand my customer base even more into the folks that would really latch on to this statement of white lives matter. So to me, it's like, uh, it's a business move that he learned from his, you know, his, his ex. Yeah, he's not always, he, he does bombastic things, but he's not always wrong, actually. He just isn't great at communicating the complexity and nuance of certain political and social ideas, in my opinion. I, I think he, it's his or, he just, or he just needs more time to get the words out because cause he'll give you some word salad and then he'll say something profound, right? Yeah, but, it's, but, a, it's his personality. So, he's just going to put it out there and... Like this Adidas stuff, yeah. I don't, you know, and, and Gap stuff, I don't think he was wrong in that. I think everything I read seemed like they were basically trying to play them and like reneging on their side of the consideration of those contracts. So did he handle it like a gentleman? Did he handle it in a nice way? And he, did he handle it like I would have? I guess not, but I'm, I guess that's why I'm not Kanye. I was going to say that you're not yeah. Kanye. So he, he'll do yeah. what he's going to do. So with that, yeah, I think that'll, Oh, shock and all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then next week, We'll be talking about something. Well, that's crazy too, because that's the whole thing about the the reaction that these large institutions have to, you know, films like um um Meg Meg um what's what's her what's her name? Smacker. Smack Smacker. Smaker. Smaker, yeah. Meg Smaker. Yeah. Smaker. Uh Jihad uh, Rehab. Rehab. It's like Maybe somebody will be mad at you for two weeks and then it'll be over. Yep. It's just too like, much. Just, just didn't do There's too much going on. Yeah. And we, we're getting it in real time. Just endure the, the hate for a minute. And then, ah, uh, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. So yeah. let's, let's okay. get to the main topic though today. Let's talk about yeah. pitching because one thing we do a lot is go to film festivals and we judge pitches. Yep. And sometimes we get to be in the audience and kind of see how these pitches work and see the responses from the panelists, research the panelists and see even, you know, what their level of credibility is and then try to match that up against their opinions. And, but the coolest thing to me, and, and, and please give me your feedback as well on this. The coolest thing to me is just to see 
how creative everybody is in terms, especially like the pitch finals where you're down to like the final 20 people or 10 people, the level of creativity and rehearsal and the, the variety of approaches to get into your pitch is, is remarkable. And, uh, I, the pitch session we saw at the film festival, national film festival this year, was remarkable. And it made me think about the larger global audience, everybody in the world that listens to this podcast that wants to pitch a movie, pitch a film. How would they go about it? What can we bring from this experience to them to, to help them out? It's, I think the reason we wanted to talk about this, cause there's actually so much to talk about. Yeah. Right. So it's basically, as you start to think about it, it's like, okay, what's the first thing to talk about? And the first thing that I think of is with these pitch contests, I'm just curious, and this is more this is a conversation. You don't know, I don't know if there's an answer to this. Right. It's like, <laughs> what is a pitch contest? <laughs> like, what are you pitching? Yeah. Right. And I asked that question almost rhetorically, but it's like when we talk about pitching or creating a pitch package, it depends on what level of the film that you're in and who and to whom you're pitching. Right. So you could be pitching something for to an investor. Mm-hmm. Right. And we would never say take an idea to an investor. Right. Right. An investor's not going to invest in your idea, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to they're going to invest in, you know, the your potential to execute in order to get them a return on investment. Right? Yeah. And execute a project. A, a, exactly. Yeah. A, a specific project. It's yeah. very specific, you know, a detailed thing. So, when we go to these pitch contests or we attend them or we facilitate them, um, I think you got to set some ground rules about like, what is the pitch? And I think for this pitch competition, it really was how well do you present your idea? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that if they had, let's say, told everyone that in the beginning, then there might have been a different approach from various people. Right. Yeah. So some folks came up with a full binder of information. You know, they've printed right. out all this stuff when they weren't actually judged on that. Yeah. You know, which, but it's good to have that, you know, you want in a, in a professional pitch to an investor or a distributor or a sales agent, a lawyer, whatever it is, um, you want to have these artifacts, but depending on the pitch contest, they may or may not help you. Right. So why put all that work into those artifacts when really you need to put your work into the presentation? So that's the thing This to me, it's like, well, what are you, what are you pitching? And, and should all of the pitch contests be presentation contests? Should they be package content should (laughs) they be investor pitch there's so many ways to go yeah i think we chip into that and get get into the minutiae there a little bit and and in doing that i'll I'll give you my pushback my pushback on that is like i i think that if you're going to a pitch contest you kind of know it's about your presentation Mm -hmm. okay you kind of know that like you don't have to break that out and say is this about my presentation or is this about my idea or is this about my package it's like you're you're standing up in front of an audience mm-hmm. and in front of a panel who's judging you. Everything matters. The way your haircut matters, how erect or not you stand matters. The tremble in your voice matters. The passion. You, I heard that from, from a multitude of panelists that like you didn't sound very passionate about your project, like as if they were <laughs> going to go buy it. Right. You know, that, that I will agree. It's like, as a panelist, why are you judging them on the sound of the passion of their voice 
when the outcome isn't that you're going to buy their story or help them make it, like, why did they need to be passionate for you? Well, the reason why is because your overall presentation is what is being judged. And I think deep down inside every person who pitches knows it. Yeah. And I think that that, and you say everyone knows it. And I wonder for the folks who brought, you know, packages, they brought stuff to hand out unless it was of always course, a mistake, a globe, but yeah. Um, yeah, you know, which was a very cool. If it's, idea. if it's, if it's, I should say it's always a mistake if it's something to read. Yeah. Like there in, you go. in my it. former life of doing two and three hour presentations at large corporations, you never wanted, sometimes you would see, you'd be in a bake off, you know what a bake off mm-hmm. is, Nick, yeah, yeah. you know, sure. bake off. Yeah. Okay. So between you, you and another, well, right. usually two or three others yep. and you go back to back to back. Mm-hmm. And it's always great to go next to last and not last. You never want to go first. First is the sucker pick. If you go first, you lost. So you'd see somebody go and they would hand out a giant pamphlet and it would be, they'd have slides that were filled with words Oh, that well, both of those, <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? They're going to be reading, reading that the whole yes. time and they're not going to see anything you have to show. Right. Which is by the way, one of the things that one of the panelists mentioned, right? Yeah. It's like, you gave us this at the beginning of your presentation and we started reading. So which one are we supposed to do? Yep. I'm not sure if I'm going to watch you or read this. Yeah, so you got to yeah. kiss it. Keep it simple. There you go. Silly, silly. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's stupid. Be nice. There you yeah, go. Be nice. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's, it's, it's like, how can you convey an idea without noise? And we go back to this idea, this topic of noise that we've, we've talked about before. Right. It's a deep concept too. Cause if you start to pay attention to how you communicate, and how others communicate with you or how, what it's like when you're trying to receive a message and what gets in the way of that, it's all around you mm-hmm. and trying to remove it can be difficult. You know, you live in a house and you're watching a show and somebody's talking in the room behind you and you just can't connect with the story that you're trying to watch. Right. I think that's why Jen uh, Z and millennials, I think that's why they like to watch shows on their iPad and phones and on their laptops in their room alone because everyday life is about four seconds of attention all over the place. Give me your four seconds. Give me four seconds. Give me four seconds. And you're bouncing from screen to screen to screen to screen and social network to social network and picture to picture. And I've caught myself doing that. I'm I'm not shitting on the generation. I've (laughs) caught myself being on Instagram in particular and just sort of like an automaton scrolling up and clicking that heart. Right. Like I've had to catch myself several times say, now why did you click that heart? You didn't even listen to the song. (laughs) You didn't even hear the joke. You didn't even hear the audio. You just saw something funny and you assumed it was going to be good and you clicked like, I like it. and I'll stop and I'll go back and listen to it. I'm like, come on, at least <laughs> Chris, consume the content. Chris is over here giving likes for showing up. Yeah. yeah <laughs> oh, you yeah. showed up today? You showed you up get today? A like. You get a like. You get a like. You get a like. 
Look under your chair. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. Everybody you get, gets a you like. like. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but, I, but, I, but I agree about the noise, right? That's that's the, the key. So let's mm-hmm. just, just bring it all back again. Okay, so what's the purpose of a pitch? You get two minutes, maybe three. So it's all about two your presence. It's all about bananas. your... Bananas. Yeah, it yeah. is bananas. It's so tight. Yeah. But it's all about your presentation. Okay, so all of the ancillary stuff that you might be bringing might be great, especially if you want to leave something with someone that you might feel as though they could be a mentor or a future investor. They've got your thing to take with them, but not to look at right there. But it really is all about the presentation. And let's just talk a little bit real quick about that noise. You know, like you said earlier, you were like, you know, your presentation's all about everything. It's about the way you look, the way your hair is, the way you speak. It's about, you know, how nervous you are, demonstrating confidence. And I think at, you know, this year's Pitch Fest, we saw everything. You know, we saw... You know, folks that were just super nervous and forgot their lines, yeah. right? And he had some folks saying, "Hey, look, don't have lines, yeah. right?" At this I point, I totally in the game. agree with that piece <laughs> of advice to not have lines. Except, I think that the winner of the yeah, contest <laughs> memorized. Yes, it was a script. His script, like he was an actor. Yeah. Because well, he was an actor. Well, he was an actor, and, but he, yeah, did it, he, and he did it twice. Yeah, because that's twice. how you know you did it exactly the same two times. So maybe so, the advice is know your limitations, right? Know <laughs> what you are, but but more but more importantly, like I've never been in front of someone as an adult presenting anything, singing anything, doing anything, where I thought I didn't know the material well enough to wing it. There you go. That's the key. And that's what the dependence on the script was, is that as soon as you lose your place, you're done. And that's what happened to some folks. Yeah. They were just done and it was sad, you know, and it, and it creates this noise that y- you lost it. Yeah. Because, again, it is about that. It is about the conversation or the, the presentation. And if your presentation breaks in the middle, that's it. You it's kind of like watching somebody ride a bicycle down a street and then they look over to wave at somebody and then hit the back of a car and yeah. flip over it. There you go. That's, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I guess it, That's well, kind of what it's like. Well, it's, like it it's like you were, you were floating right along. I guess you were it, floating right I along. I guess it depends on who it is. over a car. Yeah, because you're talking about Jim Carrey, we're all going to laugh. But when we're yeah. watching the, the pitch competition, it's like, oh, yeah. man. That yeah. sucks, you know? Yeah. You yeah. actually empathize. You're not laughing yeah, at them at all. You're you're totally empathizing with the situation and you're rooting. I found myself in the back of the room rooting for people who lost their place. Like, come on, you got this. Yeah. Like, come on. Let's just like, get it, get it back. Like, but just that, take but a the, deep breath. I will say this though, that though I'm, I agree and I'm in your spell, your space where it's like, I'm rooting for you them. Under my spell. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm rooting for them. But at the same time, we looked at each other a little too long. Right there. <laughs> yeah, right. It was a little, <laughs> a little weird, but at the same time, I'm a, I'm a little disappointed, right? I mean, this isn't like you knew you were coming to this pitch contest, mm-hmm. right? Okay, and then you had I don't know how much time since the day that you applied and they got in, and this is the finals, yeah. So there had to have been some you know weeding out process, and then you get to this point and you don't know your stuff enough to wing it, like you don't know your story, you don't know, and then you mentioned the idea that of this passion. Right. So I will say that one of the folks that got up that I think was talked about, you know, they, they did mm-hmm. advise him about passion. I'll admit I felt the same way. 
right? right. Where it was like, there was a, it kind of, kind of felt like a teacher, you know, it was just telling us about a thing. Like this was mm-hmm. instructional, right? And I was just like, okay, even if what you're saying is correct, yeah. it's not interesting. Yeah. That's what it was for me. It's like, there was no passion behind it. So I didn't get excited. I'm sure that there could have been something exciting about it, but it was so matter of fact of what it was. I think there was too little emphasis on, <laughs> on why it was and why I should care. So yeah. I think that the passion has to be there. The confidence has to be there. And I think the, the practice in just knowing your stuff has to be there. And then I think you can, you know, at least you can compete. There is this idea that you don't have to do this job when it comes to filmmaking and creative. You get to do it. And I get stressed out. I get short with people. I can be a butthole. Uh, I can be elitist. I can be all these things. But I always can fall back and, and remind myself, you get to do this. Yeah. For at least right now, you get to have a cool podcast. You get to help film creatives get where they're going, right? Like you get to make cool things. Mm -hmm. You get to be part of films. You get to change people's lives through investment, through consultation. You get to do it through branding and marketing. Like you don't have to do it. No one's got a gun to your head, right? Like you get to do it. So come to those situations with a great deal of energy and excitement about your, and know what you're talking, like take yeah. the effort to know <laughs> what you're talking about. Like, could you imagine that though? Like, that's the, that, to me, that's the toughest thing. Like you're, you're pitching your story and you just don't know your own story. Yeah. That or just, are you not passionate about your story? I think it's, yeah. I, I, when it comes to pitches, knowing your stuff is important, right? It's, yeah. it's definitely important because you don't want to lose your place. You want to be able to talk through any, any, mm-hmm. even any foible that you might make. Foible. I like that. Oh yeah. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. Uh, but the other thing is, is he that said foible and foley <laughs> each season. Right. The, the, the other part of it is I, I, I will say that, you know, Maya Angelou's line. And if I, if I get it wrong, you know, please let me know. But the spirit of it, yeah. you know, people will forget what you said. They'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. It's, I love that. It's beautiful. That's what pitching is about. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like is. if you can just like, just stop with that. Like if they would just sit with that for a moment, I think that would change the way that everyone pitches. Right. So the yeah. person that came kind of with a more, you know, instructional tone or the person who came in and forgot their lines, you know, or came in with the nerves and all that's like, look, you're trying to make us and the judges, the panel feel a certain way. Yes. What are you doing to get the feeling that you want? Focus on that, right? Focus on that first. And then what is the content that you need to create to get to that feeling? And I think if folks focused on that, they'd be in a much better position to be, to be successful at pitch contests. Agreed. Let's get into some of that tactical pitching while you're at it. First thing I will say is, your opening line is just like when you write a screenplay, that first three pages kind of has to pop off the page. Mm -hmm. Some, some dramatic things have to happen. Some poignant premises have to be laid out and some interesting characters, or at least the interesting protagonist has to be laid out. Well, when you're pitching 
you should be asking a high impact question. You should be asking a question of the audience and of the panel that makes them pause. There's something that, that turns them around, that reverses their, their thought. Most people think Japan has the highest suicide rate in the country. What if I told you they weren't even in the top 10? Mm-hmm. Okay. Or I said country, I meant world. Right. Japan, yeah. So, so you say something like that, like, okay, Japan doesn't have the highest suicide rate in the world. Well, you might not even and think about not that. Even, it's like, and they're not, there, there's another the place. 10? Like, what is that place? Yeah, right. what is that place? Yeah. And then now you're set up to talk about what is the number one place in the world for suicide per, per 100,000 capita, right? Like now you're like, okay, I, I'm going to learn. I'm going to, this is now valuable time because this person in front of me is going to teach me something. So that is an incredibly powerful tactic when you start pitching. Let's get into some real world stuff. Now at a festival, you're pitching in front of an audience and a bunch of panelists with diverse backgrounds and varied levels of success. But in the real world, your pitch wouldn't go like that at all. You would never be limited to two or three minutes. You know, we talk about the elevator pitch. That's, you know what an elevator pitch is? Can we just keep it real? (laughs) An elevator pitch is a moment where you harass someone. Because they're trapped. They're trapped (laughs) and they're going somewhere. They're very busy. An elevator pitch is a moment where you harassed a decision maker or a gatekeeper or someone you think is a decision maker or a gatekeeper. Let me, let me ask a question real so quick. So you don't want to be quick. in an elevator pitch position anyway. I, I got a question about that. Yeah. So this is that reality versus fiction thing. Mm-hmm. Do you think the elevator pitch is real? As in, that's the type of stuff we see in movies, right? Yeah. Where they get on the elevator. It's Who's on the elevator? The executive gets on the elevator first. Mm-hmm. And then the pitch person runs in from the street, right? Yeah. And they squeeze in just before the elevator closes. Just before closes. it closes. Always just before it closes. <laughs> right? And then somehow they say, I'm on this person, I'm on that person, and I got this thing. And then the executive says, what? You've got two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. It, right? You've got, you got two minutes. Exactly. It's like that. Or, you, it, or worse, you've got 30 seconds. Exactly. Because I'm going, no, it's got. It's, it's usually a little bit longer. Because why? Because the executive is going to the top floor and got people got to get yeah. up. Or, got a good, to, or, a good writer, <laughs> or a good writer might write, you've gotten to, you know, you've gotten to the 20th floor. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. so that's what they've got. But is, is that real? That really happened? Or is that just the movie thing? We just adopted it from there. I'm, I'm just yeah, being real. I don't even know if people are going back to the office to get on the elevator right <laughs> Not now. now. So, <laughs> so there's, so I, you don't I, get the pitch. Yeah, I really don't. I really don't even, don't even know if that's a thing. You can't slide into somebody's Zoom. You, know? yeah. you, can't, yeah. just, you can't just walk in. You got to be invited. Right. But anyway, I, just, I was just trying yeah. to figure out if that's even a real thing. But anyway, So, so yeah, the, if you get lucky enough to do an elevator pitch and you get 15 to seconds to one minute to say something, I wouldn't even pitch your idea. I would say something that would shock and awe them and just get them to stop. So they would give you two extra minutes. Right, right. That might be more effective. But in the real world, you're going to have a writing sample. You're going to have materials and artifacts for your idea. And those artifacts and materials are going to be hopefully good enough to get you a legitimate pitch meeting. Right. And if you're pitching to a production company or a streamer and they're going to give you time to sort of flesh out your idea and they're going to make a decision on the spot 
um, whether or not, and I know that people say, well, they don't make a decision. No, they do. Even, even if they say, we'll think about it or we'll get back with you, we'll get back with you is no. Right. A lot of times let's do another meeting is not a no. It's let's get some other people in the room that I think somebody, there's somebody I want to bring to the meeting next time that might like it. Right. So you're going to have that meeting. That's a different pitch altogether. That's a pitch where you, you should have something to hand out. Agreed. And you can actually stand up and you can direct them to a page in the deck, or you can even have point to a PowerPoint PowerPoint. You can bring props. We did have someone bring snow globes to the pitch session we saw, which was very cool. So you can do things like that, whatever gets your story across. And it's very, very similar to screenwriting in the sense of there are a lot of people that harp on spec screenwriting rules and, and rules around formatting. And the real hard truth is if your story is amazing, it doesn't need a format. Yeah. Like story is king in every artistic medium you can think of. And if you have it, you have it and it'll, it'll come through. I always tell a story about Mary J Blige getting her record deal. She had, she had just like a, a a self tape recording of her like singing with this terrible sonic quality. But on the other end of that was Mary J Blige. So it didn't matter (laughs) that. And then you have people that go out and spend five grand on three song demos and it's not. And you listen to the first. And you listen seconds. to the first. You listen to the first five seconds and you know you, you don't like it. So I, I talked to, uh, we talked to a, a, a cool creative named uh, Birdie. I can't remember Birdie's last name. But um, Wilson. Bill, yeah, Birdie Wilson uh, this weekend. And she's got a little EP coming out in November but uh, of this year. But I was talking to her about the poles of great and, and bad. Yep. And great and bad both get engagement. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get a lot of engagement, that means you're somewhere between bad and great. And that doesn't mean you should quit. A lot of people quit because they don't get engagement on a thing. That just means you just need to sharpen it a little better because you're either going to find out if you're bad or you can be you can be great. But the point I was making to her is no one has to tell you that something's bad. If you have a glass of Kool-Aid and it's made with salt instead of sugar, you just spit it in the sink immediately. Like you don't even, you don't swish it <laughs> around. With it. Right. Like you don't swish it around and consider it. Uh, maybe. Right. No, you spit it out. And when you have a slice of deep dish Chicago pizza, it's delicious right away. You don't need to be told that it's delicious. You don't need to get the opinions of the person next to you. What do you think about this? Is this good? To, no, you know whether it's good or you know whether it's great or not. And so when you come into uh, a pitch room like that, they're going to know if it's great or not. And they're going to be interested right away. And if they're not, just keep working on it. Yeah. Now, so, so you said something earlier, yeah. though, I want to, I want to yeah, kind please, of get back in. to. So you, you mentioned the idea, and I think it works you know, neither, you know, the pitch room or the pitch contest, which is this idea of having a, like a question, right. Or or some, some line. So I think I would say that in addition to that, or as an alternative to that, I think another thing that works really well is world building. Yeah. Right. So if you can create a world that we can envision that is of interest, that is a wonderful thing. So I think the one, the, the guy, I think actually both folks, right. So the one that won the episodic as well as the one that won the feature 
did that very well, mm-hmm. right? I think you could sense, you know, potential holes in either of their overall pitches or their approaches, but what they did better than anyone else, right, was build a world that we could all envision. Yes. Right? Yeah. So when you, when I think about, you know, that Maya Angelou quote about how you're feeling, I think when it comes to film is that you want them to feel the world that you're building. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's like, exactly. I can see it. I can smell it. I can taste it. I can feel, you know, just, you know, in one of the pitches, it was about racial tensions. Yeah. I, you could feel that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you yeah. could feel that. And the other one was more whimsical fantasy, fairyland type things. I could sense that. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the feeling that I think they left with the panelists, which is why those were the most memorable. And I think there was another pitch. There was actually another pitch about, uh, about uh, zombies. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. think that would have been one of the top. Right. Because everyone can see that world. Now, if I were to think back to all of the other pitches, having a hard time. I have a hard time even even remembering the worlds. Exactly. Because it's not a character. It's the world that's being built. So if you can build a world that people can envision themselves in, the next step is to build the characters or to explain the characters that are in that world. Yeah. And I think if you can do that successfully, then you've got, you know, some of the real, the foundation to winning pitch, either in a contest or in the pitch room. Yeah, I completely agree. And I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll wrap on this concept too. Uh, having invested in a few films ourselves, a pitch to an investor is also unique as a as, as a pitch versus pitching in a festival. Oh, 100%. So, so when you pitch in a festival, again, you're pitching to a panel of diverse people and everybody has to like it. It's actually a really interesting challenge. Like, how do I tell a, a story? How do I build a world that a writer, a producer... A brand strategist. A brand strategist. <laughs> and you know, whoever's on the panel will right. all like equally. Right. That's really hard. And and when you win that, it's because you were a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. You basically could spin a yarn as is that how it goes, PB? Is <laughs> yep. that the phrase? Yep. Spin a yarn. Phrase. By the way, how long did she how long did she spin in the Middle East? Well, it doesn't say exactly, but Shortly after 9-11 in 2001, moved to Yemen, and then mm. later Saudi Arabia. The film didn't get completed until 2021. So yeah, so she's been in the, that community yeah. for a long time. Con- confirmed. <laughs> uh, the director of Jihad uh, rehab. rehab is the real deal. Anyway, back to this. But, you know, you're having to, 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 to tell the story, get a lot of people to like it, and then you win. But with an investor... You ought to know exactly who you're talking to. So if you're doing a pitch because you're trying to raise funds and financing for your film, please don't be generic when you go to your investor. I know for me and Nick, we both have our antenna and our radar way up when somebody makes us feel like we're just a walking paycheck. Exactly. Like, like if, if all you want from me is money, I'm not your guy. Like, because, and why? Because I know that you'll go to the next person who writes a bigger check, and then all of a sudden they're, they're your favorite person. Right. And they get all the compliments you just gave me. And that's bullshit. Yeah. Like, I don't want that. Like, I want to know that you are pitching to me because you want me and Nick right. in as, your project. Exactly. As part of your lives for the next 
two to five years. That's how yeah. long these things take. So yeah, you're you're creating partnerships here. You're creating alliances here. Yeah, yeah, you're not just looking for someone's money. If that's what you're after, then you get found out. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to play a monetary arms race with right. some other investor I don't know. Yep. Right. Like that's not cool. And and so you're going to research that, and you would adjust your pitch according to the person you're talking to. You would never pitch one investor the same way you would pitch another. So right. that that's how it gets a little different yeah, in the real you're, world. Yeah. You're being being very specific, and same thing with uh, certain production houses. You know, but that's that's common knowledge. You know, you're not going to pitch a drama to Blumhouse, right? Like you're going to pitch a horror film, right? So know your audience, know who you're pitching to, but then also uh, when you're doing a raise specifically, adjust your pitch to to fit the why of the investor. Like why me? Why do you want me to invest? And if you nail that, it's, it's your chances skyrocket of getting some money or some support. And at the very least, some advice on how to get some money and some support. Exactly. Right. Like I think of the things that have touched my life personally, things I've been affected by, you know, if somebody were to make a movie about those things, I, I'd be all ears because now it would be bigger than the money. Yeah. So any any final thoughts before we wrap this thing no, up? No, man, I, I, I completely agree. And I think we touched on a couple of things, the idea of having that one opening question, right, that invites people to think or to be engaged. The other part is world building, right? If you can build that world, and I think that that's the way that you get a variety of, a variety of panelists, you know, to really be interested because they can all envision themselves. It doesn't matter what background you come from. You can envision yourself in that world. And that gets back to what you said before about being a good storyteller. And then if you translate that out into the real world, yeah, you're going to take those elements that I think can go in the pitch and in the real world and combine that with the idea that you need to be specific. You need to understand who you're pitching to and then um, making sure that you do your research on those folks. And I think that's, you know, that, that's, I think the right there that's some good advice for folks doing pitching. I think there's other you. things that we could get into, but that's, that's quality stuff, man. Look I like it. Look at you. Hey, that's what we do. Look at you. <laughs> that was perfectly said. I, I, I would just simply add to it. Have a high impact question to start your pitch. What is a high impact question? A high impact question is a type of open-ended question that requires the listener to think deeply about what the answer could be. Could be. Right. So this is a good one. Yeah, man. We, we covered a lot of bases. We're trying to save the world one podcast at a time. You got it trying to help indie filmmakers one episode, one conversation at a time. And and here's another one I enjoyed. By the way, before we wrap, uh, you've probably heard me and seen me sipping on this deep, deep red wine right here. This is the uh, Marquez de Colbert 2016. Let me me see this thing. Out of Spain. You got to bring it over here. Look at that. Mm. Aged for a minimum of 12 months in oak cask. And, uh, as I always say, if you have the means, I do recommend it. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Mmm. Mmm. So good. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. This is, 
<laughs> I, did I drink this whole thing? No, I did not. I did, I did not drink the whole bottle. But yeah, I, I recommend it. There's a little. He didn't drink the whole bottle because there's, there's like a little bit in the bottle. You can see the... There's, a, yeah, yeah, there's, there's still little, there's, a little bit left. It, it, that little, we call that a skosh, maybe a, a skosh, smidge. A little smidge. A smidge. Very, very tasty. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've enjoyed this. This was a tasty time. I hope the audience did too. I hope the audience got something out of it. I think so. We're headed to other festivals this month. Fayetteville coming up. Headed to New York in a week. It's going to be a great time. And we'll have more stories and more advice from that and, and more tools and tactics to help you uh, engineer your filmmaking game uh, to its highest level. Uh, if you want to know more about that um, before we get back on the mic, <laughs> you can do that very simply. Very simply. Well, tell us how, my friend. Okay. www.bonsai.film. That's Got how. It. That's easy. You can go there, learn everything about the Make It Podcast, everything our po- everything about our podcast series, uh, which uh, we have titled Voice of the Filmmaker. It's a wonderful multimedia program that has uh, that encompasses all of our podcast series right. uh, designed to empower you, the independent film creative. And uh, there is a, also a 501c3 component to it. You can donate to this thing and give back to... Uh, filmmakers that need this funding you can give back to this multimedia project that is designed to empower other filmmakers so you can you can get the solution and be part of the solution all at the same time also our bi-weekly newsletter sweeping the country no it is we've got we've got a ton of great feedback on that every time it drops kudos to the team here at bonza that that does that along with me and nick uh you can subscribe it's easy you just go to bonsai.film forward slash subscribe and uh, you'll be presented with a chance to put your email in and look, we That's don't right. do, we don't do anything with it. We're not, you know, we're not some multinational corporation <laughs> that's dealing your that's, information uh, clandestinely no, like behind goodness. your back. No, it's all goodness. Uh, no, we're not going to spam you to death. <laughs> you know, we don't even have a, a, a store up right now. So we're not going to hit you with a bunch of merch until later when we will. (laughs) But for now, we're not going to. And if you want to unsubscribe, you don't like the newsletter, you can always do that in a click. So no problems whatsoever. But we think you're going to love it. Everybody's loved it so far. A lot of great insights and things you can't find anywhere else in film. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Flame in Your Heart, or you can just search for Christopher Barkley. I'm right there. That's how I like to be contacted. If you have questions for Nick... Nick at bonsai.film. Super easy. Super easy email. If you have questions for the entire Make It podcast team, including uh, producer uh, Papa Bear over here, you can, <laughs> you can email us at contact at bonsai.film. Hey, you said oh, you, yeah. go for it. We don't even eat spam. Oh, no, look exactly. at that. But on bump, unless the spam was would be, I'll be on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I was going to say, you said any questions, you could send them to Nick at Bonsai. I take compliments too, man. Oh, I questions like those. are compliments. Yeah, I like those. Questions are compliments. No are complaints. Nudes. <laughs> no. No, not nudes. <laughs> no. Oh, do not, do <laughs> not right, right. send nudes right. to no, Nick no, at Bonsai.com. No, 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 no. This is <laughs> questions or compliments. Go to Nick at Bonsai.com. I'm just going to underscore that. I'm going to put an exclamation mark at the end. Thank you very much. I was going to say your nude pets. <laughs> <laughs> No. No.
No, yeah. yeah and, you know, <laughs> but you can send those nude pet pictures to our DMs on uh, no, underscore bonsai creator. Camera one. And Insta- no, the and, camera two. And no. on Instagram camera and three, on Twitter. <laughs> and you can uh, search for us on TikTok, Facebook at bonsai creative. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll get right back to you. So, with that, Nick, can you please leave us with the credo? Of course, to our friends, family, filmmakers out there, be better, be creative, and be engaged. And thank you for listening. Nick, do this again soon? Yes, sir, we will. All right. Hey, it's like, I'm going to say peace, but you're like right there. (laughs) 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 So this is it. We we end the podcast. I love it. This is cool. All right. Ariba Durche. Yeah. Later, dude. Later. Hashtag make it. (laughs) Yeah. Hey gang, one more thing before you go. I want to talk to you about Indie Insights. Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies, and the creatives that make them, not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside, you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary, and underappreciated films from filmmakers like you worldwide. And the best part is that it's completely free. So join today at www.bonsai.film. It just takes a few seconds. And once you sign up, you'll get the very next newsletter. It's that simple. Go to www.bonsai.film to get Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter, and join a network of film creatives like yourself. And don't worry, we'll never sell your information or spam you with a bunch of nonsense emails. Just the bi-weekly film industry goodness you need. And if you ever tire of Indie Insights, we hope not. But if you do, simply unsubscribe. No gimmicks, no games. So, one more time, go to www.bonsai.film to get Indie Insights for free. And thank you for listening.